Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. I just wanted to throw that in there. If you're just joining us today on this series, we're in as a series in the Disciples Prayer and we're seeking to understand what Jesus was teaching his followers and us about how to, com- how to communicate with God. So when Jesus offered this prayer, He was inviting His disciples and us into an intimate, face-to-face conversation with God. And when I say an intimate, I'm saying that God wants to hear our thoughts. Now, we're going to talk today about his provision okay looking specifically at verse 13 but and which is you know give us this day our daily bread but god wants to hear our petitions but as we have learned throughout this study that god wants his named praised and i'm going to tell you something now we just finished the the lord's prayer the Wednesday night study, we just finished that last Wednesday night. But one of the things that was really impressed upon me is the fact that I have become a little complacent in my prayer life of going into, you know, God, thank you for creating this for us. Uh, Now I need to pray for Sister Sue and Brother John and whoever all, okay? Which there's nothing wrong with that. But I needed to spend a little more time praising God for what He's doing in our lives each and every day. How He did create all of this just for us. And, you know, it has actually made my prayer life a little more, seem more productive, okay? We need to spend time praising God for what He has done. He is worthy of all praise. The Scripture tells us that. But now we're going to get into His provision. So, and I'm I'm not going to read everything that, uh, that I've been reading for the last four weeks. But anyway, Jesus was teaching us that prayer is to be a personal face-to-face encounter with our Heavenly Father. Remember, more closely uh, uh, described as Papa or Daddy. Okay, And remember, up until that time, the Jews didn't have that type of relationship. God was something way out there that they couldn't have a personal relationship with. It was more of a fear of God. And then so through doing those things, those prayers have become somewhat repetitious and have become actually in vain, similar to what little kids say when they're going to the supper table. But at some point, we realize that we need to change those prayers and that we need to become more intimate with God into our prayers, in our prayer lives. Now, families, I am not saying that we shouldn't teach our kids to pray and use that same prayer as they grow up and stuff. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's a good thing. But at some point, just as kids grow up, adults should grow up and start talking to God like we're supposed to. Okay? So, 
getting on past that, we're going to read once again. Uh, I'm just going to go through the prayer. I've been going through verse 5 through 13, but today we're just going to go into the meat and potatoes of it. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13 in Matthew chapter 6. And it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, up to this point, Jesus was teaching us that the focal point of this prayer is the name, the glory of God and the fulfillment of his coming kingdom. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and the emphasis was to remind us that prayer begins with God and continues with God and ultimately ends with God. Why? Because prayer is always about God. Sometimes when I talk to people about things going on in their lives, it turns more into it's all about me instead of it's all about God and what God wants from our lives, for my life. We have to be very careful. It's all about God. If we have a need and God meets that need according to His riches in glory, who's glorified? God is glorified, right? But we are what we can call the beneficiaries of His glorious favor if we seek his direction his protection and receive it we might be the recipients of his generosity but god gets the credit see there is nothing we can do to force god to bless us there's nothing we can do to actually change His will and to bless us just because we may pray a little harder. The will is already there. The direction is already there. We talked last Sunday about God doesn't change His mind. Okay? Yeah, there's a couple places in Scripture where it may look like that, but it really isn't. God's will stays the same. Now, let's get something straight here that prayer is never about what we can get from God, but about what God reveals about himself to us. And he wants us to see him for who he is and experience his will for our lives. So when God doesn't answer a prayer in the fashion that we would like, I should say, it might be because it brings harm to our lives. And we just don't understand it. We don't understand the ramifications of what may happen if God answers that prayer the way we want. Or as I've heard many times, God loved me too much to answer my prayer in the way I wanted it answered because He knew what it would bring about. 
See, God knows what's going to happen in our lives. And God ultimately gets the credit and the glory for all, all these things. And when we seek something outside of His will and He doesn't allow it, I think that it reveals His patient, loving kindness to us. He's protecting us from ourselves and showing that He is a loving, good Father to us. I think of, you know, it's it's coming up time for Halloween, and we never celebrated that holiday much when I was a kid. But the fact of the matter is, is I would always sneak and go get some candy. It's probably why I'm a diabetic today. And I would always get some candy. And you know what? As much as I loved, and I do love chocolate, okay? I love chocolate. But the fact of it is, is God knows and reminds me that I shouldn't be eating that stuff because it's going to make me sick. It will. Don't you laugh. It's true. It's going to make me sick. Matter of fact, you know, I didn't mention this, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but i got a big infection going on in my leg right now, and that's because I don't take care of myself the way I should, and my sugar levels are not in good shape. And so i got to remember, okay, God is just reminding me that i got to take better care of myself, and now it's Halloween and candy's everywhere. i got to stop doing that. God loves me too much to let me continue to hurt myself, right? Even when He allows us to experience these challenges, these heartaches, these difficulties, He's still bringing us into alignment with Him and His will because He knows our need to grow and to be strengthened. So again, if you've opened your Bibles to Matthew 6, just kind of put your finger on verse 11 where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. And by praying in this manner, Jesus is inviting us to ask Him for His provision, to trust Him for His provision. He's inviting us into a, a daily personal dependence, a dependence upon Him. But what are we really praying? Although I don't have these points down here, I, I've got them in my notes. And the first thing that we're going to look about is our admitting our need, our dependence on God. The first thing that it means is that we're admitting to God that we need Him, that we depend on Him, and we're accepting our dependence. We're accepting that fact. If we're being honest, I think we admit how scary it is that we can so quickly convince ourselves of our ability to sustain ourselves independently of God. I think it's pretty scary how we can so easily and readily live without acknowledging God in our lives. I'm talking about Christians. I expect sinners 
non-Christians to live like that. But how scary it is that Christians can live daily without acknowledging God and our dependence upon God. I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. So this makes two in a row, and I haven't done this in a while. But Frank Sinatra, when he's saying, I did it my way, guess what? Christians say that same thing all the time. I did it my way. Not necessarily God's way. I did it my way. And that's wrong. Makes for a good song, but it's not theologically correct. In praying, give us this day, our daily bed, we're confessing to God that we can't do it without Him. We're confessing that without His guidance, His provision in our lives, we'd be helpless. We'd be hopeless. But do we really believe it? I'll tell you what, as I look at the daily activities of most Christians and and are people who confess to be Christians anyway, I'd say that the answer is no. We don't believe it. We believe we can handle anything and everything that life throws at us through our own abilities and ingenuities. Friends, I'm guilty of this sometimes myself. When do we tend to go to God and ask His help, His provision in our lives? Now think about that just a second. When do we go to God asking for His help, His provision in our life? Say that again, John. During a crisis. crisis, When we have exhausted every other avenue that that we can think up, we finally go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do it. Shouldn't God... Be the first person that we go to. Lord, give me the knowledge. Give me the the ingenuity. Give me your will. Show me your will so I can make it through this. I'm not saying the Lord didn't make us without a brain. He did so. And there's certain things, and we've talked about this. There are certain things that we just know that's according to Scripture that we need to do. But when we come up and we're facing things in our lives that are just not of the normal, the first thing that we need to do is to get on our faces and ask God to help us through these things. Lord, help me. But generally it's the last The truth is is that most of us just don't see our dependence on God because we have so much invested in this world. We have most every comfort that a human could possibly desire. We have an abundance. We really do. We have an abundance of stuff. And how do we get that stuff? Well, it's because that's what we focused on. We focused on getting these things. I find that uh, interest. I find it kind of interesting that Jesus used that metaphor of bread, 
And if you go to different commentators, there's a number of things that that gets attributed to. But I'm just going to take it right at face value and say that his audience that he was speaking to understood the necessity of bread. It was a basic provision in their life. Bread, as it is over and across, especially in Europe and different places, is a necessity. There's something that they have with every meal. Now, personally, you can skip the bread and give me the meat, okay? But in those times, bread was a necessity. Maybe that's my, all they might have had. And they understood this provision. Matter of fact, I was looking back, and if you go back to Exodus, Exodus 13, I'm sorry, Exodus 16, verse 3, and I'll read that in just a second, but remember what's going on, okay? They've been delivered from Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, seen that wonderful miracle, and now they're wandering around, and what happens? What happens? They're getting hungry, right? They're getting hungry. They're forgetting about the provision of God. God. If God can lead them through open waters of the Red Sea, don't you think that God can take care of them? Well, let's look here. Exodus uh, 16, verse 3 says, Oh, that, they were, that we were back in Egypt. They moaned, and the Lord had killed us there, for there we had plenty to eat. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to kill us with starvation. Oh, those whiners. But I want you just to think of that point for a little bit and see how that goes along with us today. The lessons that we can learn just from that verse alone about the ways of men. And not from just them, but from us today. They want to blame Moses. They wanted to blame God for their circumstances although they were exactly where God wanted them to be so in response God provided to meet their need giving them bread manna from heaven matter of fact in verse 4 it says I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you the people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day now friends I have a big enough problem or large enough problem with eating. So I could only imagine what would happen if I could just open my door and walk out in my front yard and see manna on the ground every day. I wouldn't have to worry about going down to the convenience store and eating that stuff. You know, another thing that the Bible really didn't tell us about those Israelites, I don't think... Anybody got really fat over it? A lot of stuff I eat goes straight to here, okay? But you know what? God took care of them. He provided for their means by providing that manna. And then they discovered that God was their sustenance. He was their provision. 
Now we go on to verse 11, 11 through 16. And again, I'm reading this out of the Living Bible, so it'd probably be a little different than what you're, what you're looking at. But again, Exodus 16, verses 11 through 16. And Jehovah said to Moses, I have heard their complaints. Tell them in the evening you will have meat, and in the morning you will, have stuffed, uh, you will be stuffed with bread, and you shall know that I am Jehovah your God. That in the evening vast numbers of quail arrived and covered the camp, and in the morning the desert all around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew disappeared later in the morning, it left thin white flakes that covered the ground like frost. When the people of Israel saw it, they asked each other, What is it? And Moses told them, It is food Jehovah has given you. Jehovah has said for everyone to gather as much as is needed for his household, about two quarts for each person. God provided that entire nation with manna and quail. Not just for one day, but every day that they were in the wilderness. Now friends, I right there that's something that that I was thinking about that God didn't just provide a huge meal that wouldn't sour, that wouldn't go bad, for them to eat on for weeks on end and then do it again. He did it every day. Every day. For 40 years, He did it. Now, I'm sure that it got old. I'm sure. You know, as much as I love fried chicken, I can't eat it every day. Okay? Okay, sometimes I do, maybe for a few days, but I because I love that stuff. But I, I can't eat it every day. And I want you to think about it. 40, 40 years. 40 years. Every day. Manna and quail. Quail, manna. Well, I bet they had, you know, just like us Baptists, we like to we like to put these cookbooks together, you know. I bet they had every type of way that you could prepare quail and manna. I boast, uh, roasted, breaded, fried, I, everything. Matter of fact, I saw one. I saw one guy. I was reading it, and he said, "For dessert, he well, I got. I had to write it down because I knew I'd forget it. Ah, for dessert." Banana splits. Huh? Huh? I thought that was funny. Banana. I can't even see it while I'm reading it. Banana splits. Hmm. Yeah. What's the point of all this? Because their knowledge of the Exodus. When Jesus told them to pray, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. Give us this day our daily bread. They remembered the need of the Israelites. And the exodus and how God met them at their point of need with bread from heaven to show them that he alone was the provider. And in the same way, when we pray that and give us our daily bread, we're telling we're saying, I'm sorry, we're saying to God, in spite of my gifts, my talents, my abilities, I trust in you alone. Another thing that I wanted to mentioned here was that we are acknowledging our own 
appetites. We're confessing to God our tendency to try and satisfy the eyes of lust, the eyes of flesh, and the pride of our lives. Now, you've been here on Wednesday nights. You know what I'm talking about. Three places where the devil gets us. The eyes, lust, and pride. Just talked about that. devil knows exactly where to get to us. Makes it look good. Makes us want to have it. And then encourages to go for it. I'm reminded, I'm, I'm, I found this little ditty. I've never seen it, but it, I was, I'm reminded now of this guy, this older man who had nine sons. Nine sons. <laughs> Tony, you're getting there. Nine sons. And he had one simple rule when they were eating. Dad always gets the last piece of chicken. Always. That was kind of that way in our house, too. Dad always gets the last piece of chicken. If he didn't want it, then the fastest fork wins. One stormy night, he and his nine sons eyed that last piece of chicken, and suddenly the lights went out because of a sudden lightning strike. Piercing the darkness, everyone heard a yell. And when the lights returned, Dad's hand was on the chicken with nine forks stuck in it. What's the point? We need to appreciate and control our own appetites for more. And I want to go right back to Exodus one more time. If you have you have your Bibles open again, this will be out of the Living Bible, Exodus sixteen seventeen through twenty. So the people of Israel went out and gathered it, some getting more and some getting less before it melted on the ground. And there was just enough for everyone. Those who gathered more had nothing left over, and those who gathered little had no lack. Each home had just enough. And Moses told them, don't leave it overnight. But of course, some of them wouldn't listen and left it until morning. And when they looked, it was full of maggots and had a terrible odor. And Moses was very angry with them. What happened? Because of fear that God wouldn't sustain them the way that they thought he would, or the way they lacked thought that he would, they hoarded some extra. Isn't that just like us? Isn't it just like us to be so afraid that our appetites won't be filled that, we just take matters into our own hands and we hoard these things while our appetites might want more. No one can eat enough today to sustain us for the next six months. Can't do it. Nor can they inhale a, a sufficient amount of air into their lungs to supply them what they're going to need in oxygen for the next week. Now, I bet some of you right now are doing the same thing I did. Taking a breath, right? And thinking about it. See, we don't think about air. 
But God gives us air to breathe just as we need it. We don't have to worry about running out of it. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're acknowledging to God that we have earthly appetites and that we're willing to be honest about them and keep them in check so we never seek to provide and care for ourselves independent of God. We're also accepting our own responsibility. We're accepting responsibility for not getting ahead of God by trying to provide for ourselves. Independently of Him, we're taking matters, we're expecting, accepting the responsibility for not walking alongside of God. We're taking matters into our own hands again. And it also means that we need to be good stewards of His provision of his benefits we just don't take and waste stuff that god gives us we don't take it for granted you know i've told you several times before when i was when i was in the air force and i was stationed overseas and when i was in egypt and oman and different places i saw true want i saw true need they don't, take they don't take for granted the provisions that were granted to them. But we do because we live in a land of plenty. Even the most desperate, destitute people who live among us have the ability to get their needs met one way or another. God calls us to manage what he's entrusted to us. By loving him more than we love ourselves. Matter of fact, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, later on, says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also we also should be appreciating god's generosity how many times has god met your need and maybe you weren't specifically praying for this but god met your need and then you forgot to give god the glory thank you lord That was brought home to me a couple of weeks ago when I when that motorcycle quit sliding down the embankment. And all I could think of at that particular time was, Am I this is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. And then all of a sudden I was able to get up and get over to my wife. And but I'm going to tell you, the first thing I did before I even got up is, Lord, thank you that I can see. It's kind of a rough thing to think about. Thank you that I could get up. Thank you that my wife isn't hurt more than she was. Are we appreciating God's generosity in our lives today?
want to close with this one thing. It came from the gift of Madeline, which was, I guess it's a pamphlet because I found this online. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're telling God how thankful we are for his care and provision in our lives. So instead of living entitled, we express gratitude. And this sense of thankfulness drives us to live for his kingdom and his righteousness. It encourages us to share his blessings with, uh, with others. And it causes us to shout from the rooftops the glory of his name. Are we thanking God for his generosity? Are we thanking God for his provision in our lives? Are we just looking at our circumstances? It's a good question. It's a challenge. How are we looking at God's generosity? Let's pray and prepare ourselves for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much again for the opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I just pray that... Uh, if there's any decisions that need to be made today, may they have the courage to come forth and do so. Guide us, direct us, and thank you for being here with us today. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.